What's happening, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. This is the Building Buchanan Podcast, a platform for sharing the stories of visionaries that are helping move social change forward here and across the nation. On this podcast, we will explore the possibilities and as we get the scoop from pioneers in inclusion, community building, making the world a better place. And now, here's your host, Colette Conchola Cox. Hi, everyone. It's Colette, and I am here today with the fabulous Jen Gentry. She is a licensed clinical social worker at, at Family Guidance Center, and she served law enforcement and the courts in Missouri in nine Northwest counties as the community mental health liaison for the past seven years. In that role, she works to connect individuals in the community to mental health resources, mitigate crises, provide clinical guidance, and works to bridge the gap between the legal system and the mental health system. Jen also partnered with law enforcement to revive the CIT efforts in Northwest Missouri to create a CIT council and local training, which is where Jen and I intersected. Um, we intersected doing some work on the CIT, and we will tell you a little bit about that journey um, in today's episode. So you actually had a very requested, we had several um, emails and people that um, listened that wanted to know who you were and what we were talking about. I don't know if you had a chance. Yeah, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to, um, I did an episode, episode three, it's like called Cop on a Mission with Matt Nive. And so we both referenced you a couple times in that and referenced the CIT and people didn't know what the CIT was and who you were and what that whole thing was about. We just, you know, we got to kind of talk and we're like, oh yeah, Jen and Jen and then we were listening, they're like, who is Jen? So I was, I, I did a little research on the notes, not much because we were all around them, but for the listeners, it looked like we connected back in 2016. I think you're right. Yeah, it looked like 2016, you already had your CIT kind of fired up. Mm -hmm. What year did you revive the CIT? I thought you brought the whole thing here, but then when I looked at your bio, I saw you said you revived it. Yeah, so I mean, I wanted to give credit where credit's due. I'd love to say that we birthed the whole thing, but um, so back in 2007, I think was the last time CIT was going. And um, my understanding of it was that kind of through attrition, people retiring, transferring to different departments, things like that, um, CIT just kind of fell, fell to the wayside. So I started my job in 2013 and connected with Sergeant James Langston at St. Joe PD, who was assigned to the CIT unit. And so um, we kind of collectively decided that we wanted to tackle CIT. We thought, um, and that stands for crisis intervention team, I guess I should say that for anyone that's not aware. Um, we really thought that it was important to bring our law enforcement and um, mental health providers and state agencies and um, you know all those entities to the table to be able to talk about what is going on in our community. How are our individuals currently being served? Where are the gaps? What can we do to band together to try to address some of those things? 
And, and so we literally meant, we literally met with every sheriff's department and municipality in our nine county area to say, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Would you be interested? I think our very first meeting was in 2014 was when we officially started meeting. And um, per the state CIT standards, um, you have to meet for a year. And um, at the time they wanted you to put on a training. So I don't think we are considered quote established um, on the state level until 2016. And you guys do this twice a year? Cause I know that I usually help twice a year, but yep. I didn't. Okay. Um, typically in, April and October, roughly. Yep. So we've got one coming up. Yeah, so actually yesterday we just had day two of our training. So um, it's our first COVID training, which makes things a little bit interesting, but we're trucking along. How many do you have signed up for this coming class? So this class, we actually limited it to 20 so that we would be able to social distance and still still offer it in person. Um, we felt like that was really, really important to, in order to, to still provide a quality training. Um, I mean, unfortunately, I think all of us fall into the boat of when you get into a virtual training, you're just a little less engaged. And so, um, so we have a class of 13 right now, so it's a lot smaller, but that's okay. Um, sometimes when we have a little bit smaller class, we have um, more fruitful conversations. People feel a little more free to ask questions, um, share about experiences that they've had. So that's all right. Well, we welcome it. How many officers do you think you've trained now? That's a really, really good question. We started doing training in 2017. We've probably trained, I would guess, oh, 100, 150 maybe. It's a huge, it's a huge number. Yeah, yeah we and feel pretty proud of that. And, I think um, more than anything, you know, we wanted to make the training more accessible to our departments, specifically our more rural departments. Um, prior to us offering training, they had to go down to Kansas City. Um, they have a phenomenal training down there as well. Uh, it's just difficult for our departments to either um, pay for, for hotel rooms for them to stay down there for a full week or to travel back and forth. Those are some pretty long days. It is a 40 hour training um, packed into five days. So for our trainings, having them a little bit closer to home um, was helpful, specifically for our departments that just aren't very big, um, trying to free someone up for 40 hours to go to training is a very big deal when you have a department that has maybe a handful or fewer people in it to begin with. So um, we also, just within the last year or so, started breaking it down to doing training one day a week for five weeks instead of one solid week. And that has really opened up the training to some other folks who 
were from those small departments. Um, it was easier to free them up for one day to send them to training a week than it was for a solid week. So yeah, we've been really, really excited to reach some of our further corners of our area and, and get that information out there. Yeah, can you give everyone an idea of what kind of trainings they will, the police officers and first responders will receive at sure. the CIT certification? Yeah so, yeah, so it's a combination of mental health and de-escalation training. So the first um, half of, of the training is really focused on providing mental health education around um, specific disorders, also kind of breaking it down by age. So what are, what are the um, mental health issues that are specifically related to young people, um, also folks who are on the elderly um, side of things, and, and what does that look like? What do those resources look like? How do they differ? After we get through the mental health education piece of it, we also do um, site visits. So a lot of times they take people to the hospital when they're in a mental health crisis and aren't able to keep themselves safe, but they don't know what happens beyond the ER. So it's helpful to them to be able to see what that looks like and get a better understanding from the hospital side of things of what their process is. So then we move forward at the end of the week with talking about de-escalation skills. What does it look like to take this knowledge that you have just um, learned about mental health and substance use and utilize that when you are talking to someone in the community who is experiencing a crisis? It doesn't even necessarily have to be related to mental health and substance use, um, but just understanding the inner workings of the brain when someone is in crisis. So kind of walking them through that process, helping them understand how you build rapport with someone and hopefully build it quickly, how um, you can utilize those tools to bring someone down um, as best you can and then get them connected to resources. So we do a lot of education on that front as well. And then we do role plays. Um, all of the role plays have a mental health and law enforcement facilitator with them. Um, certainly we don't, don't expect anyone to have skills mastered. This is literally just to make sure that they have some understanding of what we're working towards and that they have an opportunity to, you know, test out these skills in a safe environment and to get some good feedback. And then we do um, a piece about officer wellness. I think that's huge. Um, we cannot do a very good job of taking care of other people unless we're taking care of ourselves first. And I think the reality is that we're not good at that. We're just right. not good at it. It's hard. So um, just taking the opportunity to have a conversation with them about um, the stressors of the job, anything from organizational stress, from feeling like your boss is breathing down your neck to, um, you know, environmental stress. So thinking about um, just the things that are being talked about in the media right now and the overall um, perception of law enforcement and um, the support or lack of support that is perceived out there um, to the 
trauma that they experience in what they're exposed to day in and day out, talking them through that and understanding, you know, there's also stress at home. How do you process through this stuff to be well, to be well at work, to be well at home? Um, what are those resources out there that are specifically for um, first responders? So we try to really make it all encompassing, which is hard to do in 40 hours. Um, but we, we try to pull together the mental health education piece with the de-escalation law enforcement side of things so we can marry those and hopefully help them um, take those out into the community when they're talking with people. Yeah, I think you guys do a great job. Um, one thing that I have noticed um, just from kind of being a part, I think from 2017 now, um, is just the relationship building, um, just the mental health professionals getting the opportunity to teach, learn with, because, um, you know, you're teaching them about the, you know, I teach about the autism and some of the statistics, and the, these are some of the things you may or may not run into um, when it relates to autism. Um, but a lot of those officers, um, most of the time, if I get someone reaching out for resources, if they've met a family in crisis, it is someone who's taken the CIT. And they will say, I don't know if you remember me, back in 2019, <laughs> back in 2018, I took that and, and I still had your card. And it, it kind of blows my way, my mind sometimes that they'll still have the card. Um, but they yeah, knew they would get someday. <laughs> and they will usually, um, you know, they'll have a family in crisis and, and they'll be able to connect them. And, and I've noticed that a lot of times that they are very concerned that they, that they they understand how important it is for the person to be connected to the right resources so that they don't end up in the crisis again. Uh -huh. And I always think that that's kind of um, neat because um, I know sometimes they're not on the clock. They're calling. I, I mean, I don't know that they're not, but like they're work. I'm like, you cannot be working on just this. <laughs> I know that they're not and they're calling back and they're checking. And, and I just always think it's, um, you know, as a parent of a child with autism, I always think it's kind of heartwarming. Um, I know their job is to help people, but um, I do know that there are definitely some officers that have went through the CIT that have, that go or have gone above and beyond to try to connect families uh, impacted by autism with the resources they need and to kind of make sure that they have those supports in place so that they're never in that crisis situation again. Um, oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they, they get so invested in, um, the individuals that they work with, especially if they get called out multiple times um, to talk to the same individuals, they develop that connection. And, um, you know, I, I get that, that we all at times kind of get into the swing of going about our day and just going from one thing to the next. Um, but I'm with you, you know, it, it's so impressive and inspiring even to see when they get connected with a family or with an individual and they are advocating their tails off for that person to get the care they need. So um, it really is about that partnership and about those relationships, like you said, and, and um, it makes it so much easier when we have those connections made and we know who to reach out to, even if it, the process isn't working perfectly. So, you know, if 
someone is trying to utilize services through our agency and something's going awry and they call me and say, Jim, what the heck is going on? Then I have an opportunity to look into that or, hey, we have this issue at the hospital. Can you help us navigate this? We're not really sure what's going on. Whereas before, I think it was just um, a process of, I'm gonna get frustrated, I'm gonna get mad, I'm gonna write that agency or that hospital off because they clearly don't wanna help people instead of really digging into it and knowing who to reach out to to figure out where's the breakdown here. Um, all we know is that there's somebody who is not getting needs met and there weren't really any more details other than that. So I think that, you know, CIT has been tremendously helpful in starting those conversations and, and through the CIT council um, that meets every other month, it keeps those relationships going. Yeah. yeah I, I appreciate all of your effort with the CIT and keeping it together. I know Langston has been involved. I know uh, Deborah Bradley. I know there's a lot of people that takes a lot of you to keep that going. And I'm sorry to the other 38 people who I don't know your names. <laughs> I do know it takes a lot of people. It does. It does. You know, and I, it sounds so corny to say, um, I, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about my role as the community mental health liaison or my role in CIT, we cannot do what we do without willing partners. Right. So, you know, if I don't have law enforcement who are willing to trust me enough to make referrals to me um, and send people my way who could benefit from some extra support and maybe some resources, then, you know, I, I, my position is null and void. I cannot do anything. If we don't have good partnerships in the community, then we don't have a council. We don't have a training. Um, no one wants to, to sit in a training for 40 hours and listen to me flap my gums about stuff that I know something about, but I'm no expert in. You know, my, my niche is mental health. Um, I would much rather pull in folks from their expert areas to teach about the things that they um, know so much about, are passionate about, and you know, really can dial in what is important for law enforcement to know than me try to speculate about what's most important for law enforcement to know. So I, I always um, remind myself, like we cannot take that for granted for one second that these relationships exist, but that what we're trying to accomplish is um, it, it can't move forward unless we have people at the table who are willing to engage and to work on those relationships, to um, have really difficult conversations sometimes, to iron out those processes. Um, so, you know, I think in the end, it really has um, helped us do a lot of good work in our communities. And um, unfortunately, there's always a huge need out there. Um, that's not going down, but at least we have a community of support to lean on. Yeah, definitely. You guys do, you guys really do a great job um, with the training, with the network, with council. Um, except for I still don't know if the meetings are nine or ten. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm just kidding, there just are, kidding. I promise there are nine. 
even though I send the meeting invite out for 10. Oh my gosh. Um, is there anything you're promoting right now that you have going on that you would like to get the word out to the community about? Have any? Well, we'll have another CIT class coming out in April. I think we'll probably start March 31st um, and do it for five Wednesdays. We have the Missouri CIT conference that is going to be March 15th and 16th in Columbia. Um, I may be a little biased, but it's always a phenomenal conference. They pull in some really great people to speak. Um, you know, on a variety of topics that I think is helpful, not just for law enforcement, but also for those of us who oftentimes work with people in crisis, also those of us who partner with law enforcement. So if anybody's interested in that, you can go to MissouriCIT.org and there is information there. Statewide this year, we've really been working on a first provider first responder provider network. So what that is, is a group of providers who um, have experience either in the first responder world, so maybe they previously were a first responder, or they um, have a first responder in their family, um, so they have a really close knowledge of what that culture looks like, or they have had a great deal of experience treating first responders and are highly trained in trauma. So they've been vetted by other mental health professionals and first responders to be on this list. When you go to that list, if you call one of those providers, know that it is someone who has been determined um, by peers, by your peers, um, to be someone who gets it. You don't have to explain what your job looks like. You don't have to explain the culture piece. Um, they're going to jump right into what's been going on. Talk to me about that and how can I help you? So when you go to the MissouriCIT.org website, that's one of the first things that pops up. Um, so the registry is on there, but also if anyone in the community is a provider that fits that um, description or someone has been to a provider who you feel like would be amazing to be on that list, um, certainly guide them to the website and have them apply. We want the best of the best on there so that when our first responders are in need of that support, um, they know where they can get it. So we're really excited about that. Um, in March, I can't remember the exact dates, we are also having the Missouri Post-Critical Incident Seminar. This is intended for first responders who've been through critical incidents, um, could be one that's been very impacting or an accumulation of events over time that's just really created some wear and tear on them. And they are invited to bring a significant other. And it's all peer led, three intensive days. Um, the only mental health folks who are there are either from that first responder provider registry or our other CMHLs like myself from across the state. Um, we have access to EMDR, which is a specific type of trauma therapy um, that they can utilize while they're there. And um, we've been able to have one. Unfortunately, the last two have been canceled because of, of COVID concerns, but um, it was 
so amazing to see the amount of progress that was made in just three days and and would fully acknowledge that the journey is not over there but to be able to help people re-engage and um you know we had feedback from people saying i slept for the first time a full night's sleep and in, in a very long time um to see them reconnect with spouses it's huge it's huge so you know i think this year whereas we haven't been able to attend as many conferences and as many trainings um doing what we can to support people in the community but also specifically doing what we can to support first responders has really become a priority um, as they're navigating a lot of different things in the world but also you know experiencing the COVID stress just like we are yeah those sound like good trainings they sound like great trainings actually um, we will make sure that we link the northwest missouri cit website or the state website. Um, I'll check and see which one you referenced. So Jenna, if someone wants to connect with Family Guidance Center um, mm -hmm. during your daytime role, which I know it's all one role, but what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So we do intakes in our St. Joe office Monday through Friday. Um, we start at 730 and it is first come first serve typically. So we are offering those either by phone or in person so we certainly want to make those as accessible as possible um, the best thing to do would be to um, call in and get that set up they'll kind of take you through some initial paperwork and then they'll take you through the intake process and, and then go on and make those referrals so you know if you are an individual who is in need of therapy or maybe you need to be connected to a psychiatrist to um, manage medications. Um, maybe you need a caseworker as well um, as somebody who's going to be able to provide that ongoing support throughout the week to really connect you to resources to work on those ongoing goals. Um, we can do that as well. So um, there's a variety of, of different supports here. We offer support on the mental health and substance use side of things, but certainly going through that intake is going to be the, the first step. And then they're going to be able to make referrals to the programs that they feel like will meet your needs the best. Great. Thank you. And we will link Family Guidance phone number and website in the episode notes as well. Um, thanks so much for coming on and, and educating all of us about the CIT and its journey and your journey. Yes, well, thank you so much for inviting me on. I mean, I know that you've been such an important piece of what we do in um, being able to be part of our group from the Autism Alliance and Progressive and just speaking to your experience as um, a parent and navigating resources and things like that. Um, but I just appreciate you in inviting me on. This is something that I, I know we collectively care so much about and we're super fortunate to have some um, awesome partnerships out there to be able to do this. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm so proud of the, a lot of the partnerships that are in the area and so I've, I've been able to meet so many um, passionate helpers um, during my motherhood journey. People that I 
didn't know existed uh, prior to Gunner and and our experience with uh, developmental disabilities. I mean, there it has been. Um, you know, sometimes when I reflect back, it's just kind of cool to think about how many awesome people um, I've met along the way and um, so many people who really are waking up and probably a lot of nights trying to figure out how to sleep, thinking about how to serve, uh, better serve the community and, and better meet those needs for people. Um, just so many people with huge hearts um, that really yeah. want to make Buchanan County and Northwest Missouri the best place that it can be um, for people regardless of their situation. Well, thank you. I will let you get back to all your important work and projects and all the things that you do for our community that connect us all together and um, really do help so many people. I think sometimes it's hard for people to see how many other people they're helping and the connections that they're making and what a big impact they have in the community. Um, but you definitely have a large impact. And so thank you for all of your work that you do to help build our county up and St. Joe and Northwest Missouri and all that you do for law enforcement and families and other professionals and, and just everyone. And thanks for telling us about the CIT and explaining to everyone what that is. And those that were wondering who Jen is, there's Jen. Yes, um, absolutely. So thanks again for coming on and I will link everything below and I appreciate your time so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Progressive Community Services is providing this podcast as a public service. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by PCS. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by PCS employees are, there, are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of PCS or any of its officials. This podcast is not intended to be used for medical advice. Consult your own medical professional for such advice.